positive feedback loop. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Positive Feedback Loop podcast. This is Ray speaking, and we have Stephanie, Hi, everyone. and Luis. Hi. Hello. Woohoo. And this podcast, we talk about a variety of things, and oftentimes we disagree. So today's topic is the madness of genius. So we'll you know, talk about different types of uh, geniuses that lived on in our history and how people perceived them and how they perceive themselves, um, really. And, you know, one particular person that I think many people are familiar with is uh, Albert Einstein. Um, Steph, what do you think of Albert Einstein's? <laughs> I feel like of... this is a pop quiz. Yeah, and also... Like, what do you know about Albert Einstein? <laughs> <laughs> He's become synonymous with the idea of genius, right. right? I mean, there's a whole... People call someone an Einstein if they're smart or if they're trying to demean them. but for being smart. So, I don't know. I don't know about madness, though. I don't know if he was particularly mad. He was kind of a weird guy, but I don't know if I could call him mad. Let's maybe, so we, you know, thought about Albert Einstein a bit, but maybe let's come into the present time and more contemporary geniuses that people might consider, you know, genius. So, some people say Steve Jobs is a genius. So, those are, like, maybe more identifiable in current time. Jobs is a divisive one. He steered Apple right at one point, but didn't at another. So does that make him a genius? He did come up with revolutionary products. But again, does that make him a genius? So what makes someone a genius? Because I feel like it's an external perception. Like, you can't... Is is being a genius an objective, absolute standard? say it's extraordinary intellect. Actually, no. There is a there is a yeah. um, standard they follow, like the IQ test that people take. I think if you score above a certain range or number, you're considered genius level. Isn't that right? Like, I think uh, there are a lot of people who don't yeah. take the IQ test. So, how do you know they're exactly. geniuses? Yeah, I think it's just extraordinary intellect. Yes, you can use an IQ IQ test to measure it somewhat. It's not great for it, and it doesn't mean that anyone's actually going to do anything with that IQ. And even then, IQ is not a one-to-one correlation with actual all forms of intelligence. So or output, even. Like, you can be yeah. a genius, but if you don't have any output, does it really matter? So that's, the, that's what I'm wondering. Um, is genius, as you said, Stephanie, is it just an external perception? Or is it, can it become internal? Because what happens, I think, is if a person internally perceives themselves as a genius, that's the point in which they become mad. And that's, that's where you know, they start to essentially deteriorate, deteriorate um, internally. What do you guys think? I don't know. I think you can be a mad genius without realizing you're a genius. I think there's, yeah. there's humility and madness sometimes. And I, Okay, so we're talking a lot about mad geniuses, but I'm not, there's not really that many people out there who are really smart and also are like cackling in an in a evil lair that with like lightning uh, striking in the, in the background. They, they have a monster they've just created. I mean, there's not that many people like that. It's well, more of a pop culture idea that genius comes at a cost. Right? Yeah, the madness we see in real life, I think, is this troubled genius. And I've seen it most of all in my study of artists, 
So I'm thinking of Michelangelo, who was troubled in many ways throughout his career, and especially um, the way his genius was treated. So I think of how people really revered him as a painter, and they wanted him to paint the Sistine Chapel ceiling, and yet he considered himself a sculptor. And he really loved that's, releasing forms from, from stone. That's a great point, because uh, first of all, genius is not just defined as intellectual, it's also creative, right? You have yeah. creative geniuses who are like great painters and things like that. You know, you still ascribe genius to that. And you're right, and, but a, a lot of geniuses do have some form of uh, dissatisfaction that helps power their art or whatever it is that they do something um so a lot of them are afflicted with some form of condition in terms of uh depression and you know a whole host of psychological conditions but i don't know how much higher than that that you could say the population of geniuses is in terms of those conditions versus just average i don't know so it's interesting because leonardo da vinci also comes to mind and when you said, you know, there's this level of dissatisfaction, it reminded me of historian Liana Bortolone um, in the 60s, who was wrote, writing about da Vinci, and said, man is as uncomfortable today, faced with a genius, as he was in the 16th century. Five centuries have passed, yet we still view Leonardo with awe. And uh, others have said, you know, his genius surpasses everything, that, either, that nature works miracles uh, for, for, a, for a genius. And so the genius is uncomfortable or has a discomfort with what he or she is faced with. And then society is also has this uncomfortable or, or awe-inspiring reaction to a genius. And both are kind of out of sync with some level of comfort. So is genius something out of comfort? Comfort for who? For the... Both sides, for the genius and for those who interface with the genius. I mean, we talk about well, mad a, geniuses who are a... both uncomfortable with themselves and make others uncomfortable in the fact that they're right. just out of the ordinary. But there's also this like a perpetual cycle of, okay, people consider, might consider me a genius and now I have to basically defend that that uh, title and then that they become more mad, you know, self-doubting themselves. I... I think, or you I think, go the other way and they become perpetually just egotistic and, and so it's yeah hmm. in terms of the other things that we were mentioning about geniuses I think the, a big aspect of it is that idea that people want genius to come at a cost so hmm. that it, it helps the idea, it makes it feel when you're, that you're, if you're not a genius it's okay because at least you didn't have to give up that thing that or genius is incidental how many times have you seen a uh, house on TV being a complete jerk to everyone, having so many situations based around the fact that he's a really hostile man, someone who's really aggressive and mean and just not fun to be around, um, but he's really smart. And, but the thing is that he never actually comes up with what's wrong. And this is all geniuses on TV for the most part. They never come up with, with like what's wrong based on like a process of the a deductive process that eventually like, okay, well it's not these things. Therefore it's this. And we tested it and it's right. Okay. We got it. Good job team. It's always, he, they, they try that for a bit and then he goes off to the bathroom and like, while he's in the bathroom, he's like, he runs, he touches the toilet paper and then like, that gives him a flashback of like the toilet paper. Wait, paper, wait, trees, wait, <gasps> he was near this forest that had this pollen that ended up killing him. 
that's what's doing it. And then he brushes, brushes in and saves him and gives him the perfect antidote to that pollen. Like that sort of thing. It's always incidental. It's the same way with Isaac Newton, right? The eyeball falling on his head. That's what gave him the idea, not years of intense study and dedication, which actually did it. I've thought a lot about genius and the inspiration of genius. And this, this is very similar, I think, to our dream episode in the sense that I feel like there's a lot of inspiration that comes from God and that we can't necessarily say that all genius is, is in us. Like, go, great going, me, I'm a genius, I did it all myself, but that there was some, there's some divine help to those geniuses. And a lot say that the um, founding fathers of the United States were inspired divinely in some way. And they even say it, many of them themselves, they look to the, kind of thank the inspiration of God for that. So I wonder if genius is, like you said, Luis, like getting degrees, learning, getting the education, working hard for it. Is it innate? You're born with it. Do you develop it? Is it a natural process? Does nature somehow, do miracles happen in nature to help guide you and create a genius out in you? And then there's this fourth, is God helping and inspiring normal men and women to do extraordinary things? And it's probably a mixture of one or more. I I think a lot of it has to do with curiosity. Geniuses tend to be very curious about nature. And your argument about God, I guess, can be said, you know, nature can be the, in your view, maybe the product of God. So maybe in that way, curiosity of nature, thus being the curiosity of God, is the part that helps inspire geniuses. Well, I mean, if we're talking about inspiration, there's a lot of humility that can be misinterpreted as to the actual source of inspiration. I don't know what inspires certain people to be a certain way. I think that geniuses are not just, edu- like, you can't just get educated and then not, thus you're a genius. No, I think that there is something inherent to a lot of, to some people that allows them to go that extra step after they've refined their abilities. Those are people who are geniuses, but I don't think you need to be a genius to be good at your job or to be great or even historically great. Not everyone who's, fa- who's made a name for themselves and been famously successful or even unsuccessful but still changed the face of history some way was a genius. It just happens that the ones that seem to remember the most were. So I don't know what it is that makes a genius, but I know that it is largely not something you... It's, it's largely something you're born with and then have the, luck, the good luck to be able to have an opportunity to refine it in some way. I have a friend who studies gifted children and their needs. This kind of goes to your thought that a lot of it can be innate. A lot of children are just born very gifted. And so, like you said, I I don't think necessarily everyone can be educated to genius status. Maybe it's that some are naturally just gifted in that capacity. Um, unless we can define genius more broadly, then maybe with a whole ton of effort, anybody could be educated to the level of genius, like genius leader, someone who has genius level leadership or genius level listening skills or genius level cheerfulness and uh, making others happy, that they just know much more easily how to, how to make those around them happier. Uh, if we go beyond just intellect and creative 
abilities or making something, then maybe maybe it can be taught. But if if we're just talking about intellectual genius, I think you're right that there are some that are just more gifted than others. And it's been interesting seeing how people have been studying how to excite gifted children and keep them engaged so they don't get bored in school. So, yeah, Stephanie, that's interesting. Did you happen to ask whether or not the parents of these individual children are highly educated or, you know, what kind of background they come from? Is I'm trying to think of, like, genius can be hereditary or not. There are a lot of children who are very gifted and their parents are not. Uh, sometimes, I'm sure it goes both ways. I don't know the literature. I think there's genetics in everything, I guess. But there are children who who do not have gifted parents. But there are other factors in the environment. They could have very good teachers. They could have friends that influence them. It could be the books they're reading, the TV they're watching, anything around them that teaches them. I mean, all this talk about genius makes me think, well, isn't it all just really relative to the other people around you at the time? Because... Maybe genius is just people, or is just a way to define people who kind of see the future a little bit better, or are able to predict new technologies based on existing technologies in a more creative way. I, I think that's that's one type of genius, but I, I think that genius, for the most part, is not something that applies to literally everything. If you are the multidisciplinary geniuses that are great at everything they do. For the most part, genius, you're like a genius at one thing. And oftentimes, some of the most famous people are famous because they did one thing extremely well, right? And then we tend to associate that with them just being smart across the board and ask them for, you know, uh, value their inputs in things that they may not be quite as great at. So, for example, how many, how many, how often have you to associate Famous chess player, right? With be just being a smart guy in general, right? A chess player is probably a really smart guy. Why don't we ask him about, see how he applies himself in other things? But for the most part, they're just really good at chess because that's what they practice and refined and just become amazing at. So trying to get them to, I don't know, solve political problems is probably not the best use of their uh, abilities. <laughs> Although no, with hear... chess, maybe it will be, you know? Chess is very strategic. But with chess, there's only so many types of players. And with politics and life, there's a yeah. lot of players, and they're all Well, that's the point. It's a, different, point. it's a different understanding and it's unpredictable different practice. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's not a, the same discipline. Doesn't, the skills that allow you to be successful in one don't necessarily translate to the other. Luis, so you, you remind yeah. me of a TV show that I watched when I was a kid called The Pretender. And I don't remember who the actor was, but he, in every episode, he was so smart that in every episode, he'd pretend to be someone else to go, like, save the world or something. So yeah. he, in one episode, would be a doctor. And so he'd quickly, like, read up on some, like, surgery manuals and then know how to do surgery. And then he'd be the doctor doing surgeries. And then the next scene... He'd like quickly open a book, learn Portuguese in 15 minutes, and then speak Portuguese. And so he was this idea of the multidisciplinary genius that you're talking about that's pretty impossible, which is probably why it's on TV. 
of the person who could do anything. Yeah, I'm not saying that it's completely impossible for someone to be that, where they're very good at a lot of things. But it's rare. It's rare, and it's extremely rare, and on top of that, you have to take into account the fact that, like, you know, few are the people that can go into something completely blind and never having done it before, and then be great at it. Yeah. So... To, and or at least be better than the person who studied the most at that thing. There's this uh, who is it Malcolm Gladwell who says if you put ten thousand hours into anything you can be a master at it. Yeah. Oh, I saw Malcolm Gladwell yesterday. Actually, he was at the the conference I was at. But really, anyway, yeah. What, did he, he talk? Yeah, he talked. He was he hosted a panel on the, like the tipping point in the healthcare system and the New York biotech community and how it's growing and things like that. So it was, it was interesting. Are there especially. any geniuses you think in the healthcare industry? I feel like that's such a troubled industry. It's, I mean, you know, right now, yeah, I mean, there's tons of people doing really smart things. There's The problem is there's a lot of mediocre minds, let's put it, that are also related. So Albert Einstein once said, great spirits have always encountered violent opposition from mediocre minds. So you can imagine regulators, um, lots of big companies that have interests, pharmaceutical companies that have specific you know, interests in continuing their operations as they are, or at least like you know, surviving um, digital disruption and things like that. So yes, I'm sure there's genius. There definitely is. Lots of cool companies coming out. Wow, you remind me a lot of Galileo Galilei, uh, where he fought against basically like religious regulators of sorts when he said, hey, look through the telescope. You know, we're not the center of the universe. With genius, a lot of times it takes extraordinary risk to be... Yeah, it's it's like not just knowing the, the truth and finding it. It's not just that part of genius, but also the the fighting for it and the believing in it, the, like you said, at all odds, pushing against the, the mediocre... Uh, minds. Those, yeah, the mediocre minds who are not necessarily willing to accept new truth or truth that already right. existed, just undiscovered truth. But does that make yeah. you a genius or does it make you famous? <laughs> I, well, I mean... It- I so think that, that is, I think it being a genius does not require you to be actually to actually get something done so long as you can be a genius and not be not be successful. That's what I'm trying to get at. You yeah. can be an unsuccessful genius and you could have not tried to fight whatever maybe that the oppressive regimes are the things that caused you to not be able to be successful and you weren't willing to fight that any further. I think there's a so, lot of quashed genius. I feel like this also goes back to the parents' conversation. I think there are ooh. children who, in the school setting they're in, they're, they're geniuses, and that starts to get crushed just because of whatever educational system they might be in, and they never realize their full potential because they haven't had educators who have helped them do that, which is sad but happens to children one person i uh thought of when you said genius people who might have not become famous this person is kind of famous nikola tesla so you know inventor of like alternating current and the induction motor and tesla coil so he kind of became famous but he was like kind of underground as well he wasn't 
the Thomas Edison of the day. He was more underground, and I think that he was totally okay with that. And his, I, I don't know about that. I feel like he was underground largely because of the Thomas Edison of his day, who was Thomas Edison, who was a notorious, unfriendly individual, was did a lot of really messed up stuff to get ahead, including basically putting down Tesla to a degree. Although Tesla himself was pretty crazy. I think he, what was he, there was something with, there was something with him on a pigeon. What was it? Oh yeah, he fell in love with a pigeon. That was it. The madness of genius. The madness of genius. And yeah. with that, I think we're going to take it to commercial break. And uh, we'll be right back. Stay tuned. Thank you, guys. Two weeks ago, I had to water my plants, prune them, give them nutrients, and make sure they have the right amount of sun. Well, not anymore. Thanks to Genius Garden, my plants take care of themselves. Are your plants lacking in intelligence? You've had them for years and they still haven't learned to take care of themselves? I know, evolution is so slow, am I right? With Genius Garden, you get a whole kit of genius, including drops made from the tears of child geniuses as they laugh cry while watching Frasier. In two weeks, your plants will be smart enough to water, feed, and prune themselves. Just make sure you don't use more than two drops per day or they'll be too smart for comfort. Genius Garden. Grow some smarty plants. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to our commercial. Welcome back. Uh, We are talking about the madness of genius. And I had a question to pose to our co-host. What is your favorite genius on TV or in a movie that you've seen portrayed? You know, whether it be what's his name on that Big Bang Theory show? Sheldon. Sheldon? Sheldon, yes. Or is it, you know, one of those movies like Alan Turing, the Turing movie? What's your, what was your favorite depiction of a genius in popular culture? Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> Kidding. Dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Kidding. Well, I mean, then you could talk I mean, about creative, I mean, comedic genius, but I don't know if I classify that movie for it. No, no. <laughs> It's interesting because there are a lot of depictions of there's so many it's of intellectual genius and of creative genius. There's also, you know, Mahatma Gandhi as some sort of a political or social genius. People just exceptionally gifted at something. It makes me wonder if there are geniuses that are quieter, that aren't famous, that we don't laud. They just remain hidden. Scientists who have discovered a foundational principle that has been the foundation for greater scientific discoveries, and they go unnoticed or unknown. Uh, people right, like, who have patents that are smaller, but that, that make up larger discoveries and inventions. For example, in terms of the structure of DNA, we had Watson and Crick, who are most famously known for that discovery. But there was also uh, I think a key influential woman that was involved with the discovery of the structure of DNA. Yes, and academia has long been had problems with um, properly giving women credit. This is a problem. And there is indeed a long history of... Uh, Rosalind Franklin, that's her yeah. name. <clears throat> but, the, but the story of this goes all the like far back. I mean, look at the way that women have been treated in science for forever. Not only being denied access to science, but people who make valid contributions. I mean, the woman behind the She Sells Seashells by the Seashore 
tongue twister. Tongue okay. twister. Yeah. Behind that tongue twister, which I guess just twisted my tongue. I can't pronounce it properly. <laughs> that, that woman, she was a famous person who de- delivered a lot of fat fossils that changed the way that anthropology was done uh, in mm-hmm. the 1800s. And she's gotten basically no credit for it, right? Eventually, she was respected enough by the people who knew her personally that they did some small things to help her. And, but it wasn't that she was, didn't go down in the history books the way that the people who then benefited off of her discoveries benefited or were remembered. But I don't know if I would call that genius. I guess that's more just ign- people ignored in science or in, in, in any industry. There are unknown geniuses, though. I definitely agree. Should we think about developing a platform match geniuses with the work that they do best? Isn't, isn't that like career matching? <laughs> yeah. Maybe they should get on LinkedIn. <laughs> right? Yeah. I was thinking about women artists. It's not just science, but there are a lot of fields like art and even cooking. Uh, the, the high-level chefs was very much a men's world. Now women can be chefs and be known for it, but also women artists. I think of Frida Kahlo and her influence in Mexican culture, using a very simple folk art style to kind of make people think differently. Some women have such an influence, even on creating geniuses. Think of uh, motherhood. So mother Mother's Day is coming up. A lot of geniuses can thank their mothers for for helping them grow and learn. And I am by no means a genius, but I do think of how I loved painting. And so my mother would actually take me out and buy me canvases and paints. And I even remember I had, we tore up the carpet um, in my bedroom and they were going to re-carpet it. But they, I was allowed to just p- tape down my, my cotton paper right onto the floor and paint right on the floor as kind of a stretcher for my canvas of my bedroom. Mm. And so my mother was very much willing to facilitate my learning. And I think there are a lot of people who have been very successful intellectually and creatively due to mothers who had recognized their gifts and had helped them grow those gifts absolutely i think that's you know just motherhood even fatherhood just parenthood in general has a huge role on the you know yeah. child's ability not to, to exclude develop. fathers <laughs> right right uh, but, but i'm just uh, thinking about mother's day yeah yeah the fact that we're around mother's day is what uh, i think brought absolutely. that home yeah no one's a genius in a vacuum i would say like it without other people it doesn't really ultimately matter and you can't really it doesn't no point of reference and it's also those people that help foster genius and foster creativity and no it makes sense (laughs) it's it's environment it's people i mean really genius then can be seen as as a collective of sorts i mean genius also builds on other things those who are philosophers now build on the genius of philosophers of the past uh, I mean, there's the whole standing on the shoulders of giants bit. Right, right. And so there's an element to that, that we, it's like an element of gratitude or humility to realize that no one does live in a vacuum and can think I've done this all on my own. 
and actually that's that's an interesting point because it, it it's interesting how the way the society is moving we're moving towards um more access to technology and information for more people more easy access to the tools that allow for creative and intellectual output more of the inputs are available to more people across the world and we have a huge population at this point we're talking seven billion people and it's only gonna and it's only gonna grow for at least the conceivable future until eventually it plateaus hopefully you know at like 10 billion i think is what we're projected to plateau at but population yeah yeah but in terms of the fact i mean this is what human history is it's beginning with a few passing down knowledge to slightly fewer may slightly more and then those slightly more building on that knowledge and passing it down to slightly more and then as you have more people in the population able to use that input to create creative outputs you can solve more problems that society has so it allows for this iteration uh this cycle of growth for humanity and this has been one of the things that one of the tools to our success so far or i mean depends on your point of view i mean our, our success could have come at terrible costs to others. So it's up to the point of view as to whether we are successful or not as a species. And that's a whole other conversation. Well, I think we've been pretty successful so far. And, you know, you, you can only measure success with a reference of time, you know, beginning and end. So eventually there'll be an unsuccessful point, probably, right? You can argue. But so far, as a I think species? as a species, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it, there are definitely points in history that have been trickier for parts of the species than others. And it, it obviously there are kind of it, it's not all a straight line up. Yeah, right? people There's refer been... to the Dark Ages as this, you know, dark time in history when development stalled. And then you have the Renaissance or this rebirth where people got back on track. So I think. You're right, well, Luis. Also, it's not linear. And keep in mind that that wasn't the entire world wasn't going through the dark ages. It was just yeah, just Europe. It was just a, <laughs> it was just yeah, it's just a chunk of the world. The rest of the world yeah. was doing their own thing. They're, they're fine. <laughs> Same thing with the Renaissance. We we're doing that. Europe was doing great. A lot of the world was not. You know, it's it's kind of it's this give and take, and it's it's interesting how just the fact our population grows and that has more tools available to it because it's grown. And is able to utilize that extra knowledge and extra ability, especially now with the internet, where we're we could be even adding artificial agents to the situation mm. that could yeah. be doing thinking for us. I mean, that's insane. I mean, so then, that's where, when you have what will genius be when we have computers that are smarter than any human? Will it matter if you're a genius? Well, I think about- it'll well, matter then- in how you leverage those technologies. Right? Humans will always be. Uh, augmented by the technology that. Well, I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about having a computer that the genius is using. I'm talking about having an artificial intelligence. Right. Let's say you create an artificial intelligence that's its own being in a sense, and it's not there. Well, originally, these AIs could be could have been built with the express purpose of helping us. Eventually, they'll be their own consciousness. Right. That's the idea behind one of the great fears of humanity. And if you have this other creature that is living and thinking and is way smarter than anyone in the world could even fathom to be, what is a genius then? Yeah, then the artificial intelligence will be augmented by the human a little bit. Maybe, if we're lucky. Maybe they'll keep us around. 
<laughs> well, I like to I like to think of it as we'll kind of become like pets and just like emotional creatures, and they're just like you know just scurrying around and like laughing and climbing things all the time. <laughs> Doesn't like sound like a bad life. That's awful. <laughs> That's awful. I feel like we're gonna come to a soup. So I believe we have souls that will always be a step ahead of anything that could be artificially created. So I I've never experienced that fear, but I do understand that fear, especially if it really is just the brain capacity of a person and their conscience. I guess I've had to grapple with that as I listen to the debate and see both of these sides of could, could machines really take over humanity? I mean, it's been the subject of many films for sure. Well, it's also I, I, been the subject of a lot of our podcasts. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But okay, I, I have a question about this because I, I, I find this assumption interesting. The idea that regardless of religious beliefs or whatever, but the idea that humans are inherently superior to machines because we have a quote-unquote soul, right? I'm assuming yeah. the soul is a stand-in for a lot, a lot of the time for consciousness or something below consciousness, right? This other thing that gives us our unique humanness. But will that really matter if the machine is still stronger, faster, and smarter than you? So I actually so- believe that the soul is not what makes us human but that our humanness uh, or mortality is a shell for the soul. So the soul is um, eternal and divine, meaning... It's also interdimensional. It's interdimensional. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, yeah I would agree yeah. uh, to some degree. No, I'm just, it's just reminding me, I, I, I don't mean to laugh, I was, I was remembering <laughs> our, our other podcast where we've, we've got into the interdimensional nature of <laughs> existence. Are we it's cycling much- through the same topics? Oh, no! No, it's a good topic. It's because we love these topics. But I do think about the divinity of the soul, that we are God's children and therefore the the offspring of divinity and therefore divinity ourselves to some degree. Um, And so we it's like we're divine creatures here on earth kind of learning how to be mortal, to be resurrected someday as a as an immortal being. And so I feel like that is the superiority over the machine that really no even if the machine develops artificial intelligence to to regenerate itself or fix itself or find new raw materials to uh make a new bolt that's missing that's rusting mm-hmm. you know i think still there's a limit to that and a limit to this autonomy of the of the machine that that it, so it's like think- an asymptote you know yeah so you think it would be impossible to create a machine that could perfectly that could be perfectly impossible to discern from a human without actually like puncturing the skin? Right. Well, no, you can even puncturing the skin potentially. You can let's say like well, let's created, let's let's not talk really about the, what the I'm actual, trying to say. Yeah, go ahead. right. But I think I think what's gonna happen the difference between a, a real human and you know a, a robot, let's say, is there's this human connection to the the past so like we are actually in a way connected to the past in ways that we don't understand through our biological artifacts so our dna is mm. part of this art of artificial or this um historical artifact that we carry with us all the time and it continuously develops every generation there's a new uh, iteration of these biological machines that are inside of us right so 
I think future robots, they're going to have, you know, they're going to have this deep learning and um, ability to access information from their mass cloud masses of data. But it's not going to be, it's not going to have the time frame that we do. So they're going to have a lot of volume, but it's not going to have the. Oh, I get it. But okay, so. Yeah. But maybe it won't matter. That's fascinating. Catch up. So will they be able to catch up faster than maybe because we're just taking a really long time? This whole evolution thing is pretty slow. Maybe they can, like they uh, can go do more in less adapt time. Adapt much faster. They right. can adapt much faster. So that's that's an interesting question for me. I, I don't know. Ray, we've disagreed on this before. I I think that so job the, that DNA does not hold any significant properties of you know other than just being a biological machine. Really, that's what it is. It's it's a blueprint that it, it is connected to the past in a sense, but not in anything that's uh, magical in any in any ability. It doesn't have any particular magical abilities. It's just a blueprint I don't that know, has man. remnants of previous. It's iterating, constantly iterating on the on the original, right? And each iteration has added more and become better. Well, not each iteration, but over time, the generations have allowed for the a DNA that creates us right or this the blueprint to lead to us that's not to say first of all evolution that doesn't have an endpoint. there's no best evolution it's just different and we fit a biological niche that helped us get to where we are now and we were lucky for that because our advantage was we were able to cooperate and we had brains that allowed us to be able to pass down information and accrue, accrue knowledge but i don't think that the dna itself the actual protein or not, the actual molecules do much other than that. I don't think they have it. They hold any additional information that we can't extract, that we can extract in some way while we walk around life. Unless there's we, some matter that's more fine than what we we currently know about, that's carried within molecules like DNA. But then how would you that interface with the way that you perceive the world? It would have no impact for the most part. Even if you there's something below it, or even if DNA did have magical powers, your body doesn't have you know, your it body does doesn't have actually magical powers. I like how body, you say it has magical powers. Which is funny. It, but your body doesn't have the ability to process magical powers, right? It doesn't have like proteins that grab magical power and bring it to your brain and then like Oh, well, you don't know that. Knowledge. You don't know that. <laughs> Technically, if science if science <laughs> finds that, if we do research and you can find and you can find any any article that will support that, I you know what you will convert me instantly. <laughs> Hold but on, listen. listen. I think then, it's a cool idea though. Which just summarizing that, my point is not so much that I don't believe in the magical power of DNA. I think that even if there were to be one, mm-hmm. I think that it wouldn't impact our ability the ability of artificial intelligence to compete with humans. I mean, look at the way the fact that they already compete with us. And they're very early in their development. We've been around for how many million? Uh, yeah, thousands of years. I think twenty thousand years. We've been around, uh, in, as like societies, not just you know random tribes of pre-modern human. We've been around for a while now, and computers have been around for less than a century. And in that mm-hmm. time, they have been able to compete with humans in certain fields and certain niches but they can compete with us so who is to say that they will not be able to compete with us much more in everything in a hundred years 
if intellectual capability is the soul is not is is the sole ability of humans that lets us stand out and our ability to take information process it and do something actionable with it and be able to cooperate cooperate with others then machines could definitely take that niche and whether they could do that and also have consciousness is a really interesting question because consciousness is impossible to define now right. whether that that means that if you have this special DNA power, I don't think that even if you did, that would give you a one-up on machines in general. I also don't think that the technology that we imagine now is like the limit, like that our imagination is as far yes. as we can go. I mean, back in the day, you know, hundreds of years ago, people couldn't imagine airplanes. Like they just didn't, I mean, they could imagine like Icarus with wings, like flying, which is maybe hang gliding, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But Nobody really Im could imagine that. We now imagine AI and and the extremities of AI that could possibly be, and I don't think that's the limit either, which yeah. both, I mean, that goes to your point that there's much more they can achieve, but I also think, well, humans created that, and I think a creator, in essence, has, if they have the consciousness to imagine it and create it, they can create and imagine and do even more. I think it's kind of this infinite trajectory. Agreed. Oh. That's why when you say uh, something like the magic properties of DNA, you know, in essence, it's quite magical to know the intricacies of how, you know, a protein or a DNA can produce a protein and have that protein unfold and refold and change properties depending on temperature and create structures and scaffolding and then organs and then create this like organ called the brain that allows us to even think of the properties in which it actually happens in the first place. So it's very, very much a magical thing. In the year 200 AD, let's imagine this podcast. How would it work? Can, can, we, can you do that? Can you imagine the pot just creating a podcast or just just driving? Is is that magic? People at the time, the people who who thought about it were both mad and maybe genius. I don't know. All right, and I think with that, just want to leave our audience with these thoughts that we discussed today and please I am asking you as one of your favorite podcast hosts Join us, subscribe on SoundCloud, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. We very much appreciate it. We will listen to your requests and listen to your recommendations. And with that, everybody, thank you and stay crazy. Stay, stay crazy. crazy.